Well, good morning, everybody. If you, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can open them up to the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus this morning. I've been going uh, through a series of the names of the Lord, <clears throat> and this morning we're going to be looking at Jehovah Rapha, or the Lord who heals, or you could say the Lord, our healer. <clears throat> Father, this morning I'd like to just come to you, and I pray, Lord, uh, I pray I need your grace this morning. I pray that you would take all these many thoughts, and I pray, Lord, that you would make them clear, that your word could go forth, that, God, that you would get glory this morning. I, I, this morning, I want to lift up <clears throat> Paul and Justin to you as they're in different places this morning, and they're being asked to, to bring your word. I pray for them, for grace upon them and, and the message that they would bring forth. Bless our church, open our minds, open our ears to hear, help us to understand, Lord, to see clearer than we've ever seen before. Let us see Jesus this day. In Jesus' name, amen. The 15th chapter of the book of Exodus Verses 22 through 27, um, just going to title this is The Lord Who Heals or The Lord Our Healer. Um, I want to give you the setting, the background somewhat to this. Um, the, the children of Israel have just witnessed the plagues that God had put upon Egypt. Uh, he, they had just come through... The Red Sea. I mean, they had the night before Moses had parted the Red Sea, God had put a, a cloud there, and basically he he the, the Egyptians were in a darkness they couldn't even see, but the children of Israel were in light, and God had separated them through the night, and then he had he had Moses stretch forth his rod, and he and he brought a wind in, and he, and he parted the Red Sea. Okay, this is the setting to the point where we're, we're going to pick up here in a moment. And the children of Israel were able to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. The, the Egyptians tried to follow when they saw that their, their captives were, were escaping. And they saw how God had destroyed all of the Egyptians, including Pharaoh. He had, he had just drowned and destroyed them with the waters. And they come out of that... And listen to what it says in 1431. It says, And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then chapter 15, starting in verse 1 down to 21, they begin to sing what is called the Song of Moses. They're singing about the greatness of God, about his power, about all of the things, how he had delivered them from slavery, delivered them from the bondage of their enemies, and, and not only that, but had destroyed their enemies. And they're singing this song 
of praise. We do that, don't we? If you're, if you're a believer in here today, and you can look back on that time when you were lost, and God saved you, and I mean that day that you knew you were free, you, were, you had been set free from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and there was a song, a, I mean, you, for the first time you wanted to sing those songs out loud. And then if you would, look in verse 22. And listen to what it says. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. Now, when he says this, um, they're, they're setting out. God had told them that I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. I'm going to show you my great power. I'm going to demonstrate it on Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to take you to the land that I promised to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm going to bring you into that land. So here we see that he's delivered them. But that's not, that's not the end of it, is it? They, they're going to inherit this land. They're, he's going to take them there. So it says Moses set out. He made Israel set out or he led them out from the Red Sea. Now listen. They went three days into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Now, three days with no water. People can go three weeks pretty much. I mean, a natural, just normal functioning person can make it about three weeks with no food. You can make it about three minutes with no air. But the body, after three days, it begins to die. And why is that? Because your body is about 60 to 65 percent water. Water flows through the blood. It carries oxygen and nutrients to cells. It flushes out waste in our bodies. And without water, as a routine part of our intake, we cannot digest or absorb food. They had to listen, folks. They have just sung this song of deliverance, this song to how great God is and how awesome he is. And now they're three days in the wilderness. God has sent Moses to his people, and he's going he's gonna to be considered the deliverer. I mean, they're looking to Moses right now. Listen, you back up, and it says they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. But now they've gone three days into the wilderness, and they can't find any water. Now, folks, it's one thing. If you're talking about, you know, four or five men taking a, a, a hiking trip and we can't find water, that's bad enough, right? But we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of between one and two million people that include elderly and include infants, include children, include wives. And there's no water. And it says, and they came to Merah, and they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter, and therefore it was named Merah. That's what the word Merah means. It means bitter or bitterness. So here's the thing. They're, they're going three days' journey into this wilderness. They can't find water. Then when they finally come to these springs of Merah, the water is so bitter now they can't even drink of it. I mean, it's almost like 
it's it's almost like you know finally you you see this pool of water and there's a there's this this rekindled hope. I mean, we're going to be refreshed. And then they go and they try to drink and they just back up from it. And they say, we can't even drink this stuff. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And remember, they believed in Moses, right? God had sent Moses there and they said, who are you that you should reign over us? But then as they watch the plagues unfold, and Moses is the guy, and they see these things, and Moses leads them through the Red Sea, they're like, man, we believe in the Lord. We believe Moses finally. Let's sing this song of deliverance, right? Now they grumble. They complain against Moses. And when they said, what shall we drink? It's more like this in today's term. It would be like, yeah, we followed you out of Egypt. We believed you knew what you were doing. Now you've brought us out in this wilderness three days. What are we going to drink now, Moses? You had this great plan. We don't have any water, and this water here we can't even drink. Now I want to put something to you. As Christians, how many of you came to Christ with this mind, this mindset? Now that I'm a believer... All of my bitter struggles are over with. I mean, I'm singing this song of rejoicing and deliverance. And then yet we find out that we come to these places in life where basically it's a bitter well of water is what's before us. Am I, if I got a big echo going, because I can hear it up here. I don't know. I do? I don't. Yeah, I mean, somebody knows that stuff can fix it. But here's the thing. How many times do we we find ourselves in bitter trials? I mean, it's hard to take. I mean, we're, we're doing these things and and we're going through life. Just give you a personal note. We uh we started doing foster care five years ago. You go into you go into something like that and 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 you see the you see the the need there. You see the the. Uh, the, the hole that needs to be filled, there's a there's a, a gap that people need to step into. There's there's kids that are in shelters and, and you and you and, and God's just working and, and you get involved and, and you get these two little boys come to your house and one of them it seems like everybody loves and the other one nobody wants nothing to do with and you're thinking, man, surely we'll probably I mean, you know, we didn't get into it to take people's kids, but surely this one that nobody seems to want I mean it was just sad, but guess what? One year later we had that bitter cup set before us that he's going to go live with his dad. And he's gone about a month, and we get a call, and we say, we got a little baby. He's born yesterday. Would you consider taking him for a week? I don't know, man. We're pretty tired. I mean, we just need a break. We've got one. It's easy to deal with. He's little. But the lady goes, well, I said, really? I said, seriously, how long do, how long do we have? No more than a week. I said, don't lie to me. I know you're you're making that up. She says, no more than two weeks. Two weeks at the max. We have a place for him. My wife picks him up and brings him home. Three and a half years later, there's a bitter cup before us that we have to drink. The only people he's known as family was us. Now listen, 
But we're Christians. Everything's supposed to go well, right? Let me tell you something, Christians. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. Just in a nutshell, I'll put it to you like that. God did not make promises that people want to claim all the time. People will tell you to claim this, claim that. I don't know where they get this stuff from. God never promised we would get to keep Tanner forever. He just said, I'm going to give you to him for this time right here that I've allotted to you. And yes, it is bitter. God is leading. God is sovereign. But it's still a bitter pill to swallow. And so, when we come to these bitter trials in our life, and listen, as you're sitting there, I'm just telling you about mine. Each one of you knows the things that you're dealing with, the things that you've gone through. There is a bitterness sometimes, and people can take one of two routes. And the people, it says, the people grumbled. That's one route you can take. I look at Darren sitting there a few years ago. They were going through a bitter there was a bitter trial, wasn't it? Brittany just got back from going down to the place that Darren and Christy got to go and be ministered to, right? God was very gracious to them, very gracious. Do you know that's not the promise of every parent that goes there with their sick children? It was a bitter trial that ended sweet. Some of them are bitter that don't end so sweet. But yet in the end of all of that, there's still a sweetness for those in the Lord. Now listen, when you grumble, listen what it says. It says, they grumbled against Moses. Now let me ask you something. Were they really grumbling against Moses? If you just they don't got to flip, it's probably on the same page maybe. Look in 16.2, the next chapter, 16.2, it says, The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, keep in mind, where I'm reading right there, it's going to be a month from the place we're in today. One month later, and that's going to all just kind of hit you here in a little bit. You skip down to verse 7, and Moses is talking to him, and he says, he's talking to the children of Israel, and he says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord. He says, for what are we that you would grumble against us? You go on and Moses said in verse 8, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. He says, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Your, your grumbling could be in your church. It could be like, I really don't like the way Randy's doing things. I don't like the way Ronnie preaches. I don't like the way J- Justin, you know. Listen, you're not grumbling against me. I mean, you, you may be thinking you are, but if we believe that God is who He says He is and that God is sovereign, make no mistake, your grumbling is not against us. I'll tell you straight up right now, if you're looking to me and leaning on me, we're both going to fall over, Okay? I'll just tell you that straight up. I, I'm, I'm with Moses. Who am I? I'm really nobody. God can r- raise up who He wants and He can put down who He wants. So when we're complaining about the bitter waters that we're up against, the trials that come in life, make no mistake, our, our complaining is against the Lord. 
Now, let's, be, let's, let's just be real here, though, for a second. It's easy to pick on the children of Israel, right? How many of you have ever missed a meal or two? There's, there's some reasons to grumble, right? I mean, I'll be, I'll be at work some days, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm looking for a compliment of how hard I've worked that day. I mean, there was a day a couple Fridays ago, man, I started at 8 o'clock. I mean, I'm hitting the, the doors running. And finally at 4 o'clock, it was, it was a, one of those days where the heat index was around 110. I come in going, I haven't even had lunch. Like, I, what? I want people to just, like, bow down to me? Like, whoa. I'm the first person in the history of work that had to go to 4 o'clock without lunch. It's ridiculous how silly we are. These people were gone three days into the wilderness. And I'm going to tell you something. As a dad, it's one thing for me to do with that. It's quite another to see my children and my wife suffering along with me. That's a lot harder deal. But God's going to trying to teach us something here. The first thing is you can complain. The second one is... When they said, what shall we drink? It's like, Moses, you've taken us out here. What are we going to do now? Where's the water, Moses? You're leading us. And they're really saying, Lord, what are you doing now? And the next verse says, and he, Moses, cried unto the Lord. That means he is praying. He is, he is earnestly, intently praying to God. And what is he doing? Listen, Moses is in the same boat as everybody else. Moses just has the privilege, if you want to say it, of being the guy that God called. Now, did Moses want that job? No. He said, you've got the wrong guy. I'm I'm really nobody. I can't even speak well. You've got the wrong man. No, Moses, I'm going to use you. Oh, no, don't use me. All right, I'll tell you what. I'll help you, Moses. I'll let Aaron do the talking for you. He's a good speaker. He's a more gifted speaker than you, but you're still going to be the leader. You're the one that I'm going to use to people to look to. You're a picture. You're a picture. And Moses, he cries unto the Lord. See, Moses' wife and children is there with him also. He was in the same boat. He had no water to drink. It ain't like he had his own secret canteen over here. He didn't have any water. And matter of fact, his wife and children didn't either. But Moses, Moses could have complained. He could have said, Lord, you brought us out here. Now we're going to die. And not only that, but everybody's blaming me, Lord. I mean, he, he had a double complaint he could have made. But Moses didn't do that. Moses prayed. And God answers. God answered his prayer. And it says, and the Lord showed him a tree. Now, in the ESV, it says law. I don't know why I don't like that. I don't like that. I think, I think tree is what we should be using here. He saw a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, folks, this is not something that says if you come across some bitter water, grab a tree and throw it in there, and the water's going to be sweet. And that's the way people use these scriptures. I mean, they'll, they'll take things and just, like there's some magic formula to things. No, Moses... In the midst of no water, in the midst of complaining against him, in the midst of complaining against God, trying to faithfully follow God's leading, Moses cries out to the Lord, and then the Lord shows him a tree, and Moses takes a tree, and he throws it into the bitter waters, and the waters become sweet. Now that, 
brethren, is a picture. That is a picture. That when we're going through these bitter trials, it is that exhortation to always look to the cross of Christ. The cross of Calvary. There's something about the fact that he took a tree and he threw it into the bitter waters and the waters became sweet. You see, in Christ, Christ was hung on a tree. He says everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed by God. He became a curse for us. It's not just a cliche that when you're going through a hard time that we just say, boy, just look to the cross. Like, there's nothing else to say. It's a Christian saying, and, you know, I really don't know what to tell you, so just look to the cross. No, that's exactly what it is. It's exactly looking to Christ in every situation that comes your way in life. Church, there's going to be bitter, hard trials and times come your way. You're either going to complain about what God has done or is doing in your life, or you're going to look And all of that bitterness, you're going to look back to the cross. You're going to look back to the fact that Christ died in your place. And even though you're going through these hard times, just to be in Him is the greatest thing that you can be in the world. Folks, we, we in America, American Christianity does not even know what really hard times are. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, that if you've struggled with the loss of a loved one or you, a, a, a serious illness that you don't know what trials is. But what I'm telling you, in comparison to the church, in church history, the things that they were persecuted, what they were beaten, what they were martyred for, We don't know that type of Christian life yet. And I'm telling you this, it will be bitter because you're trying to do these things following faithfully the Lord. You're trying to do it for His glory. And people are going to call you all manner of names. Matter of fact, the most of the population is going to believe it. You're some kind of nut job. You're some kind of crazo. I mean, you're a terrorist. And no matter how hard you fight back trying to vindicate, trying to defend yourself, it's only going to look worse. And you're going to come to those places where you're like, Lord, is what I'm doing even right? Can you imagine Moses? Lord, are you sure we're supposed to be going this way? I mean, I'm kind of with them. I think we should probably have some water. God was testing them. God was testing them. So he takes this tree, he throws it into the water, and the water became sweet. Folks, I want you to understand, your trials are not here to stay. There was one man a long time ago who was asked, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And he says, and it came to pass. Your trials are not here to stay, and it came to pass. They will pass. And guess what? There will be others down the road. But in all of these things, God is making us, conforming us to the image of Christ. I look at Benjamin and Hillary back there. I imagine that was a pretty trying time for, what was it, a year or so? 
She's like, wasn't that trying now that I think about it? No, it was a rough time. It was hard. So what do we do in those times? Do we, do we pray? Do we complain? Do we go, this isn't what I bargained for? Now listen to this. He says, the water became sweet, meaning what? They could drink from it. It's an incredible testimony to the glory of God. Randy had a really good friend named uh, Gary Carter. And Gary the same age, and he, he died about three years ago or so, maybe longer than that. But he was, he, was a, he was a Christian man. It was a bitter pill to swallow. He hadn't been married that long. He got married kind of later in life and had a business going. Matter of fact, had just... I mean, as he's dying, his wife gave birth to his firstborn child who he was only going to be able to get to see for a few months before the Lord took him home. But the testimony that came out of that hospital from the nurses was all about, man, praise the Lord. Man, he was our favorite guy. He was always so positive he was always so encouraging going through this you see even though a lot of times the situation doesn't change i mean the lord can take that bitter water and he can make it sweet to where when you're going through this trial only god can give you peace only god can comfort you and and take this same thing I mean, there was one guy in China, he was an underground house pastor in the underground church, and he gets caught, and he gets put in prison for a few years, and he's in there, and guess what happens? He's in prison, and he starts sharing the gospel, he starts teaching the prisoners, people are getting saved in the Chinese prison, and they finally come, they say, all right, it's time to release you, and he goes, can you give me six more months? To go from this bitter trial to saying, this is sweet waters, I need to drink a little more of this. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And then he says, And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I, when I first looked at Jehovah Rapha or Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals us, the Lord our healer, and I come to this, this is the first time it's mentioned, and I come to this passage and I read it the first three or four times. I'm looking at it and I'm going, what? I wanted to skip this one. I was like, I can surely find, as a matter of fact, that's what I did last time when I preached on the Lord our shepherd. I could get a lot more out of that initially than I could this. But I came back to it. And here he says, I mean, we're talking about he just made the bitter water sweet. And then he says, and there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. And that word test means to subject to difficulty to prove the quality of someone. So God says, I'm going to test you. 
He's making this rule and this statute. And listen to what he says. He says, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His commandments, I mean all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Now listen, for I am the Lord your healer. I read that and I was like, what? I thought of a lot of passages that I felt like would have fit a lot better with the phrase, I am the Lord your healer. I'm like, he just through a tree in the water, the water's sweet. I'm going to, you do all these things and I'm not going to put these diseases on you. I am the Lord, your healer. That didn't make any sense to me. But thank God it does today. There, there is much false teaching about the Lord, our healer, that goes on in what is considered Christianity today. Claim your healing. There are gospel tracts that have been written that they present. They kind of present the gospel, but part of the gospel is you got to claim your healing. I mean, yeah, you've been. I mean, did anybody here have to claim the forgiveness of sins? I mean, when you got saved, you say, "I claim that one." Oh, I forgot. No, folks, that is not. Once again, we we reduce what is going on here. Now, listen, we reduce this name, this title of the Lord that He has revealed himself to us in scripture and we've reduced it down to i've got a cold i claim my healing i have a good friend or a friend that told me that he had rebuked satan in his home that no longer sickness could come in because he claimed it he he, you know he went around the house doing all this stuff and he missed work for two weeks and and all the symptoms looked like what we would call the flu but he was not sick because he had told satan he couldn't make him sick no more. And what he had wasn't the flu. He was fighting Satan for two weeks. You think I'm making that up? I'm not. I just kind of. So what is he saying here? He says, look, he says, if you'll diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ears to his commandments and keep all the statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. I mean, what does that sound like? Basically... If I'm able to do everything that God told me, keep all His rules, keep all His commandments, do all these things perfectly, then then I'm then none of these things are going to happen to me, right? I want to ask you a question: Was Israel able to do that? They weren't, were they? They weren't able to do it at all, were they? Um, no, they weren't. And so what is that? How does that work? He says that I'm not putting. Can we flip that around and say, if you do, um, if you don't listen to me and you, and you don't do what's right and you, and you don't listen to my commandments and you don't keep my statutes, and then I'm going to put the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians? Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. In Leviticus, uh, let me skip over here, Leviticus 26. Listen to this, 26, uh, 3 through 13, he says, He says, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, he says, then I'll give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase. The trees of the field shall yield fruit. He says, your, your threshing 
shall last to the time of the great harvest and, and the grape harvest. And, and he goes on with all these blessings down to 13. I don't want to read all of it for time's sake. But then look at 14. He says, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then this I will do to you. I will visit you with panic and wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And he goes on to tell all of the curses that he's going to put on them if they fail to do, they fail to listen, they fail to keep the statutes, the commandments. And you read that, and then he says, for I am the Lord your healer. And that's where I was at. I was like, okay, I get I am the Lord your healer, but I don't understand this. You see, this was written before they made it to Mount Sinai. Moses had not gone up on the mountain. Moses had not come down with the law. He had not come down with the Ten Commandments at this point. God is giving them a precursor here of what it's going to look like. What would we call that? It's called the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was this. If you're faithful, if you do, then I'm going to bless you. If you don't do, if you fail, then I'm going to curse you. It's incredible to me how many churches today will go back and read passages just like that and apply them to the church today. And people live in that kind of bondage. As long as I'm doing good, I'm probably going to heaven. I sure hope I am. I don't really know, but I hope. But if I'm doing bad, then I, I know I'm going, I'm going to hell. I mean, they, and they call themselves Christians. Let me read this to you in a little different way. Let me read it to you in a new covenant way. This is the Lord speaking. This is Jesus speaking. Father, I will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord my God. And I'll do that that is right in your eyes. And I'll listen, I'll give ear to your commandments, and I'll keep all your statutes. And I'll take the curse that is upon my people, and I'll put it upon me, and I'll die in their place. For I am the Lord, their healer. We read magazines today, and you'll see all these things about cures for this, feel better, all these different things. We see Christians such as Justin Peters, who is a young man. He's, a, he's, he's, a, he's I forget what disease he has. He's had it his whole life. He has a ministry, and most times he's sometimes in a wheelchair, and sometimes he has those, those arm braces that helps him walk, but he's crippled. And when he was a 17-year-old young man, a faith healer was in town, and one of his friends came to him and says, Man, I know God's going to heal you if you'll just come. So they go, him and another friend that's crippled, and they go. And I mean, they're really believing that this person can heal them. And it didn't happen. I mean, they're waiting last in line, and, and she's going to ignore them. 
And his, and his dad went up there and said, no, these boys have waited here. His dad didn't believe this, but he had to let him learn it for himself. He says, these boys have waited to talk to you. You're going to give them time. And the lady, she's like, oh, you know, well, y'all come back in the morning. And so they came. She's packing up. And you know what she told them in a roundabout way? Things like this are going to cost you a little bit more money. And the dad says, boys, come on, we're going home. And even then, Justin felt like, man, if we had just gave a little bit more money, I know it would have happened. Justin is a faithful man of God. And God has, in his purpose and plans, has allowed him to be crippled. God has not chosen to heal him of that. But here's what you need to understand about the Lord is our healer. All diseases, all sicknesses, all things of that fallen nature comes from the one thing that God has truly healed every believer from, and it is called sin. God has healed you. Sin has no more dominion over you as a believer. The Lord, your God, has healed you because He says, I am going to listen. I'm going to, I'm going to do that this right. Christ not only died for you, but He lived the perfect, sinless life that none of us could live. He lived that life. He had to be our substitute. Listen, one sinner dying for another sinner doesn't matter. Doesn't mean anything. But one perfect, righteous man dying in the place of a multitude of sinners means everything to God. The Lord Jesus Christ is our healer. How do I know that? Well, let me show you something. In Isaiah 53, 5, he says this. I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, talking about Christ, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. First Peter chapter 2. He says it like this. In verse 22, he begins and he says, He committed no sin, speaking of Christ, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What is he saying right there? 
It, it, what he's talking about is when he was in that garden and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about that bitter cup that he had to drink. I've heard people say, well, it, it appears that Jesus, the Son, and the Father, their will wasn't the same. I don't believe that's what it's saying. I believe what he's saying is this. He's saying, Father, if it's possible, let this bitter cup pass from me. And the Father's saying, no, Son, there's no other way that I can redeem Dustin. There's no other way that I can redeem Ryan. You must drink this bitter cup. There's no other way. And so he, he didn't revile. He didn't speak back. He, faith, he didn't grumble. He sought his father. And then he says this. He, in 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And he says, by his wounds... You have been healed. He said, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer, the bishop of your souls. He, by his wounds, he has healed us. That bitter cup, when, when we go back and read over here in Exodus, and, and the Lord is talking about all the curses that he's going to bring upon the children of Israel, He's talking about things in a, in a physical way. He's talking about boils. He's talking about blindness. He's talking about being persecuted, afflicted, death, all those things. But let me tell you this. When Christ went to the cross, He took something that was far, far more serious, more gravity in it than that. He took the full wrath of God. He drank it down in our place. Do you not understand that before we were in Christ, we were children of wrath? Meaning what? I hear people say all the time, God hates a sin but loves a sinner. Folks, read your Bible. He's angry with the wicked every day. He's got his, he's got his arrow aimed at him. Go, go back and read Jonathan Edwards' sermon in Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He's talking about just hanging over destruction. God's wrath is going to be poured out upon sinners. Jesus Christ stood in your place. And God poured His wrath. Not boils, not those things. He poured His wrath out upon His one and only Son. In your place. Because the Lord. Is our healer. He says to finish this chapter here. He says then they came to Elam. And they drank the sweet water. And it says then they came to Elam. Where there were twelve. Springs of water and seventy palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. They came to a place where there was these springs, good, sweet water springs. They came to this place where there was these, these what they were called was, they were date palm trees. They were, they, the fruit they had on them was dates. 
What do we get a picture of? When we come through these bitter trials, when we come through these harsh times in life, and we have to drink that bitter cup for a moment, just in this life, we're not talking about that bitter cup that Christ drank from, the one where God's wrath. No, these are things, these are the hardships we go through in following Christ. God is always so faithful to bring us through. And then what does He do? He brings us to a place where we can rest, a place where we can be refreshed, a place where we can get under the shade and God can minister to us. I'll leave you with this one passage to kind of put it all in a... in just a, a, a passage here in the, in, the, in the book of John. If you'll turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the Gospel of John. <clears throat> I'm going to pick up in verse 3. It says, He, talking about Jesus, said he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. And it says, and he, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, folks, you know how to understand something. Jews didn't have to pass through Samaria. Jews would take the long way around when they were leaving Judea to go back to Galilee. They would go all the way around because Jews did not walk through Samaria. You didn't have nothing to do with those folks. But it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria because he had a divine appointment. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar and is near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And said to her, he says, give me a drink. Now, the sixth hour was about noon. It was noon. Just to give you some background to this, the women would, that was common for the women to draw the water, but it was uncommon for a woman to come at noon. Women would come early in the morning when it was cool, or they'd come later in the evening when it was cool. They didn't come in the middle, the heat of the day. So what that tells us about this woman was she was an outcast. She wasn't welcome even amongst her own people who were outcast. She had to come at noon by herself. And when she came this day, Jesus was sitting on a well, and he was tired, and he was thirsty. And that woman came, in verse 7, the woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, he says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, he said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then it says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. A couple things you need to know. Rabbis didn't even speak to women in public. Jesus would, was a rabbi. He had followers. He was a teacher. They didn't speak to Jewish women in public. And here Jesus is. He's, gonna, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. And she says, How, why are you a Jew? Why do you ask a drink from me? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. He says, Where do you get that living water? I mean, she's asking this question. She's like, Well, if you've got this water, you don't even have, you don't even have a pitcher. How, how are you going to do this? 
Where do you get that water from? And then she asked this question, and she said, Are you greater than our father Jacob? She said, He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want to ask you a question today. What, water, what well are you drinking from? Where are you drinking from today? Have you, have you drank from the water of life that you don't thirst for the things of this world no more? I'm not talking about temptation. I'm talking about what is it you truly desire? Here we have this woman. She's an outcast. She's, we're going to find out that she's really an outcast. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to ever come here to draw water again. And Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him. She said, I don't have no husband. Jesus said to her, He says, You're right in saying that I have no husband. He says, For you've had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. He says, What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, there's some discernment, isn't it? How would he know that she's had five husbands? How would she know the man she's with now she's not even married to? And this guy's offering this eternal water where I don't have to come here and draw again? She said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He said, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, she said, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now listen, it says, his disciples, just then his disciples came back and they marveled. They were shocked that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? They're just, they're, they're in shock. Now listen to this part. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And here's the picture we're going to see in this. This woman came. She had a very bitter life, didn't she? I don't know how she had five husbands. I don't know if they died. I don't know if she had divorced them, if they had divorced her. I don't know what happened. I don't know how she ended up just living with another man. I don't know how all that happened. But here's what I do know. I know that the woman was somebody that was despised, that was looked down upon. She had what you would call a bitter life. She didn't get to come and fellowship with the women in the morning or in the evening to draw water. She had to come by herself because she was considered a sinner. And yet this sinner on this particular day, the Savior of the world, had said, I've got a divine appointment and I'm going to meet with this woman. And she came with that old 
water jar, that old picture, that old life. She came to draw this water that she was going to have to draw again and again and again. And she was never going to have her thirst quenched. And then she met the one who could give her that well of water that of eternal, springing up unto eternal life. And what does it tell us? She came with her water jar, but she didn't leave with it, did she? I want you to know, I don't care what your situation is. I don't care where you've been. This woman's status in life didn't change. She was still the woman who had been married five times. She was still the woman who at that point was still living with a man that wasn't her husband. But something happened there. She quit drinking from that bitter water and she started drinking from that sweet water of eternal life. And even though she was a woman that nobody would have anything to do with, she went to town and she said, I got to tell you about a man that's out here at this well. He's told me everything about my life. And when she says, can this be the Christ? I think what she was really saying is, I believe this is the Christ. This is the one that we've heard about. I don't know what your life has been. I don't know what the bitter waters you've been drinking from. And I don't know if you've been complaining about it. But today is your day to stop. Today is the day that you can drink from that sweet waters. If you're a Christian, I want you to remember what has been done for you. The Lord is your healer. He is the one who has healed you from sin. He is the one who is healing you from sins. He is the one who is going to heal you permanently where you have no sickness, no disease, no heartache forever. And if you don't know Him today, maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're one of them people that don't even know you're drinking from a mud hole. You just think this life is good, what you've got. I want you to know that the water of life, if you drink from Jesus, you have no idea what I'm talking about at this point. Those bitter waters. And if we had time, people could testify and they could talk about their life before Christ and how bitter it was. It could have been steeped in religion. It could have been steeped in what we would just call wicked, sinful things. It could be a life of drugs. It could be a life of alcohol. It could be a life of infidelity. And at the end of all those things, it could be a life of fame. And at the end of all those things, you just drink and you drink and it's bitter and there's no satisfying in it. But today's your day. That you can drink from those sweet waters of eternal life. Tim, if you guys want to come on up. Father, my prayer today for, for all of us, God. Oh, Lord, help us that we wouldn't be those people that forget. That forget what was done for us. Lord, I, my prayer, God, today is that That for those that know you, those that know you, that we could look and we could remember that you took all of those things that were upon us, your wrath, all of that, you took it upon yourself in our place. 
And no matter what happens in life, no matter how bad things may get, we can always rejoice. We can always be that man that is blessed, that man that is so happy, intently happy, that we are in Christ. And the worst you can do is kill me. That's the worst. And I pray for any here today that don't know you. I've been drinking from that well of sludge. No matter how many times it feels like it's going to satisfy, it just hasn't done it. My prayer for them today is that they would drink from the water of life. That they would turn from their sins. They would turn from the ways they're going. And they would look to that cross. They would look to Christ who became a curse for us. He was hung on a tree. He became our substitute. He died in our place. He shed his blood. By his wounds, we've been made whole. We've been healed. He laid in the grave for three days, and on the third day, he rose for our justification. And he was declared the Son of God. God help us. Amen.